All right, Arturo, whenever you want to get warmed up. Ready. All right. Are you hot? It's kind of hot in here, ain't it? Oh, I was going to say, yeah, shit, I'm hot. <laughs> I, know, I know you're hot. Welcome to the B-Side. Scoop. Isaac. Jahan. The music snobs. (laughs) This is the Music Snobs Podcast. My name is Arthur, your host, and I am joined by Isaac and Jahan. Has anybody else else noticed that Donald Trump has one of the dopest signatures I've ever seen? I'm like, I was looking at that shit the other day. I was like, that is like the dopest signature. I'm like, I need to work on my signature. I don't like that shit. You don't like it? Nah, it's just... That shit no... looks like fucking art. I don't know. But I mean, just the up and down, up and down, up and yeah, down. Yeah, that's how... It's like he fisted a big-ass Sharpie. Yeah. He just does this. It's dope. Up though. and down, up and down, <laughs> up and down. But I think, I think it, looks, it, it looks quite angular and precise, which is completely antithetical to, to his yeah. personality right but right. you can't even read the shit that he signed because it's so big <laughs> you saying it is bigger <laughs> than the actual document yeah well that's i mean that's because it's those executive orders i mean if it was like a personal check it wouldn't be that big but Dude, i bet you you get a personal check and that whole shit says donald <laughs> trump, donald, trump. <laughs> donald on the front trump on the back <laughs> Wrap a wrap wrap around signature. Yeah, I get what I get what Jay is saying because, like I said, the largeness of it on the executive orders fits his personality. He thinks he's bigger than life, but it is a very it's almost an elegant signature that definitely does not fit his personality at all. He's actually it looks like he actually worked on that signature. Like he was in his office, supposed to be doing other shit, like important shit, and he was in there writing his signature down a thousand times. Right. All right, I'm sorry. We're warmed up now, baby. So with that, last spring, Childish Gambino released This Is America and cemented an intriguing reality. Uh, sight is the new sound. The, uh, the recording industry is now dominated by visual appeal of online and mobile content. Um, so we want to ask this question that uh, what does the power of YouTube and, and video albums like Beyonce's Lemonade and also Instagram branding mean for the future of actual music? I mean, is, is contemporary music changing from an aural to a visual medium? Yes! Nailed it. That's it. All right, Topic that's over. it. Round table. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I say yes, but okay, from among us, who? I mean, how did this idea trigger was it was it lemonade? You know what? Let's let's look at the numbers. Uh, you mentioned this is America in your intro, yeah. right? Because that's the most okay. well, that's the most contemporary and also obvious. Because I mean, there have been all kind of comments right. and and uh, op ed pieces about the the visual the visuals in there and what Glover was 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 trying to represent. Well, let's look at the numbers. Variety uh, magazine they reported that as of the first of June, twenty eighteen. This is America had 147 million song streams mm-hmm. versus 216 million video streams. Song streams, does that mean all the listening platforms? Spotify, okay. etc. But peop- so uh, 
over 50 million more people watched the video rather than heard the song. I mean, you know, this is this is implying that everybody's only listening to it right. once, but point being is you're getting more people watching it than listening to it. Mm. A lot more people. But do you think that part of that is because of the social commentary about what his visuals were? I mean, you know, the step well, and fetch it, it reference. I think we can start broader than that, actually. I think we can say, I think we can ask the question, what did he put more work into? What, you know, what's, what's the product here? What's the work product, the art product? What's the media that we're given here? Mm. The lyrics on their own, without the benefit of visuals, without having ever seen the visuals or any of the cultural commentating that's going on about this, this song stroke video, the lyrics on their own, what do they actually spell out? Do you need the benefit of the video to get what he's saying? So without the video, what is the value of the track? I'm not saying it doesn't have value, right. but I'm just asking how much is dependent or reliant on the video? I think, so you're asking, I think the question that you're asking is, is this a song, a project that was created, you know, with lyrics and visual, you know, joining each other for the whole? In other words, one of them cannot exist independently without the other. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Because, I mean, I videos that... have always complemented the songs, but in this instance, it feels like that, you know, these two things were jointly created as a, you know, as a, as a whole product and not separate from each other. Yeah, I mean, you know, not to always draw an analogy back to old music, but look at Michael Jackson. Um, so, Beat It, the video or whatever, um, through the video. You may see the video and you may love it. When you hear the song, you may think about parts of the video. It may make you feel, the video may have been so dope, you may sort of feel like you're almost in the video while you're listening to the song, but the song still stands on its own. There are still days when you'll say to yourself, I want to just hear this song mm. on its own. And the song would still, you know, Billie Jean would still have been as dope without the video, be it Thriller, they'd still be amazing songs without those videos. Yeah, but the videos help sell the album, but but the, but the, the music etc they're not dependent on that i'm asking i guess when you take away uh when you take away the video for this is america and all the meaning around it where does that leave the song is the meaning of this song is that given to us only by the video or also the music and uh, my impression is yeah it's it's weighted heavily in the video's direction um without the video i'm not sure how much of that message we get with the song on its own and you know, is that an issue? No, if that's, yeah. if that's the way that he wants to create his art and deliver his art, not an issue at all. That's his intention. Rock on, bro. But what I'm asking is, what does this mean for music as a whole? Where if this starts to happen more and more, and, you know, you mentioned a couple of other people, if, if we're dependent as a culture on, on visual delivery of music, what is going to be the impact for music as a whole going forward? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you wonder, does it get to a point where it feels more like um, small, you know, short films? In other words, it's a film that has a soundtrack, you know, accompanying it, mm -hmm. but the, you know, it's, it's a film, you know what I'm saying? So it's like a visual, it's a visual presentation first, you know, audio presentation second. Um, and it's interesting, though, to me, though, because we go back to just a few short years ago, say five years ago, maybe a little bit longer, we kind of predicted that the video, the music video, as we used to know it, was out the door. You know, it didn't matter anymore. 
even though you have v, was a vivo um uh-huh. and you had other platforms you know um, apps that you can still look at music videos and youtube of course it felt like that just wasn't a very important thing anymore mtv doesn't show videos nobody you know tunes in the mtv to watch videos anymore so it felt like that was, that was out the door so it's interesting to me to see it come back and i think that the culprit really was the beyonce album the first you know the beyonce self-titled album that was delivered yeah. with that video component you know um simultaneously all videos for all all the songs at the same time um on youtube yeah. right and then um and then on, on itunes and then you know of course because it was a surprise launch a surprise drop that just made the impact even more when you're like oh wait a minute it's just not the album it's this package with you know basically a short film attached to it um basically all the music videos then lemonade of course so i think she really kind of set the stage if you want to say okay how do we get to this point where now it seems like we're trending towards like everything that john just described i feel like that we can kind of lay that at her doorstep or give her credit for that the question is 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 it a good thing what is it john's point is like what does that mean for the actual music Exactly. And what is more effort being put into? Are we moving towards something where most of the artistic effort is put into the video and the music is simply becomes mm-hmm. a soundtrack to that video rather than rather than the video being an accompanying piece to the song, which is which is how mm-hmm. it has been until mm-hmm. now. Right. Well, well, Beyonce's Lemonade Project, I think, I think uh, stands on its own because I think that it was explicitly conceived to have two parts audio that standalone album an album designed to be uh, enjoyed standalone you know, right. and a video component that when you know brought together make it more make it more was uh, the video component message. meant to complement the audio or was it meant to go with it join on on the on a uh, equal level i think there were i think that it was meant to be co-joined equally equally okay whereas this is america is more of a complement because the song, there's a cogent relationship between the lyrics of This Is America and the video, but it's not like a one-to-one relationship. I disagree with you, though, when you say that the video of This America is meant to complement the lyrics. No, I, th- I think that these two things are joined equally as a joint presentation. Because the lyrics, I mean, the lyrics, if you look at them, I'm looking at them now online, and they do give a, a nod to you know what the song is about, what the right. video is about. But again, I'm saying... The lyrics give a nod to what the video is about and not the video giving a nod to what the lyrics are about. Right. And I think that's an important distinction. The lyrics to This America, he talks about cops. Mm -hmm. He talks about, you know, This is America, guns guns in my area, Mm -hmm. so on and so forth. But these, to John's point, you know, Get Your Money, Black Man, to to John's point, if I heard this song on the radio without seeing the video, I would still get what he's saying. Well, yeah. But nowhere near... the impact would be far lower. Nowhere near the impact you get when you see the video. But not because of the... But that... Okay. But not because of the lyrics. What I mean... Okay. So I listened to... I listened to This Is America as a song without watching the video. And that was the first time that I really heard what he was saying, lyrically. Because when I watched the video, I don't care what he's saying. I'm just stuck in what I'm what I'm looking at. I put Donald Glover a little bit in a separate category because he is an actor. You know what I'm saying? He's an actor. He cut his teeth. Based, he's a stand-up comic. Mm-hmm. He, he, he was a writer for 30 Rock. That's his world. So it's like I give him, you know, it's a little bit of a different thing for him. You know, so this makes sense more when I look at what he did with This America. It makes sense to me when I see, okay, that's a Childish Gambino slash Donald Glover project. 
what I think though, like with what Jay's concern is, what does this mean for the actual music? Yeah. I think it's like fight the power, public mm-hmm. enemy. That had a video, which is basically is basically a compliment to the movie though, too, to uh, do the right thing. But I, I get what you're saying. To so do the right thing, absolutely. But but I guess my my point is, or, or pick any public enemy mm-hmm. song, or pick any, or pick you know Kendrick's All Right, where you have this imagery that's very very powerful. You still have the song though. You still have the music. You still have the lyrics, and it feels like you can get everything that you're supposed to get from the song just by listening to the song. Yeah. Can you get everything you're supposed to get from This Is America just by listening to the song? I don't think you can. I don't think so. Like everything that he intends, you can get everything that Kendrick at- intends. Mm-hmm. All right, just by listening. To I don't think so. I, to, to me, the answer to the question is no, you can't. But again, I remove, even though Donald is kind of the hook for this conversation, I remove him from this conversation to to an extent because this fits with what he does. You know, what I'm saying it's like agree, it's yeah. part. Of, he's he's a he's not a musician first. He's an actor. He's a, he's all of these things. I'm not even, I'm not going to well, say we, what we, he yeah, is he's, first. We it's can, up to we him can to say, say he's that. an all rounded, multi talented. Right, but cat. I'm saying this this type of presentation makes sense in his his world. I think what we're dealing with sure. outside of Donald Glover, I think what we're dealing with is not necessarily so much um, video or visual before music as we're talking about brand presentation before music. If you look at all of these things, video, um, video music, as far as uh, the videos themselves are concerned, then you look at YouTube, the platforms, IGTV was just launched. Um, and I've already seen... So what, what is... Can I ask what... What is IGTV? IGTV is basically it's basically their live, you know, they were doing the live videos, um, which you could do already. Uh-huh. Is that taken to another level? So now it's like those they're longer, they look better for one thing. I actually appreciate them because they look a little bit a little bit better. And also I think better quality. Yeah, mean? quality. And I also think that you can okay. you can archive them. So basically you have mm-hmm. a channel. So it's mm-hmm. almost like they're YouTube almost on on instagram from what i can see but it's a separate it's a separate app no it's right there it's it's integrated into the app it's right there on the top right hand side um and once you go into somebody's page you can access their igtv and look at all their videos does this mean that they have ditched stories um stories and live? i don't know you know when when people do the live stories. i don't don't think so no no because i i just looked at somebody's story this morning so no Maybe that's eventually okay. what they will do. But my point, though, is that all of these things, because I've already seen some artists and it's, pu- it's, it's clear that Instagram reached out to, you know, some artists and people who have like a million followers um, to get them to do early IGTV videos. So I've already seen that, you know, going on. And it's like that's another part of this brand presentation. So to me, all these visual components are brand. Pre- it maintains a certain look a certain story that you're trying to tell for your brand and to me that's what has always been a component of music and every other art form but for me it, to me it is uh it is overcoming and superseding and dominating the music right now so i think that what we're going to see in the mm-hmm. future because like i said with the beyonce example i can those i agree with arthur to the point that they were um beyonce's videos and her music to me are still separate you can enjoy the music without watching the videos and 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 vice Mm -hmm, versa mm -hmm. but i think her you know beyonce's been in the limelight for now her reign is going to end pretty soon the next generation of artists behind her coming after her the younger artists i think are going to be doing more of the donald glover thing except that i wonder if they are they're not going to be you know you mean like the song is the video 
Exactly. And they aren't going to be presenting it in the way that Donald Glover did as looking at it from an actor's point of view. These are going to be musicians who aren't in that acting world, aren't in the, the film world. But I think that their interest in the visual and in the brand presentation is going to override their interest in actual music. It's already being reflected in all a lot of music you hear. There's a reason a lot of music sounds alike right now. A lot of R&B basically sounds alike right now. There's really no push in that realm. But a lot of the brand presentation is dynamic. It's interesting. It's diverse. You know, it's 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 actually more inspiring to look at an artist at their IG page or at, you know, what they're doing um, at fashion shows. That's more inspiring and interesting to me than their actual music. Mm -hmm. Why? Because I think that's where their interests are and I think that's where their um, expertise is. That's that's where they're growing as artists. They're growing as brand presenters. They're not growing as musicians. That's what made me think of this topic in the first place, actually, because it's one thing for us to comment or question the artist's reasons. But what you just said made me think, what about the audience? What are the audience looking forward to more nowadays? Because if we, um, if we look at this as America, or if we look at the Beyonce Jay-Z song with the video um, where they're in the Louvre, all the commentary on both those things seems to be about the video. I don't see, at least, a huge amount of discussion, definitely not the majority of discussion on the music itself. I've seen a good amount of chatter about Beyonce's rhyme style. That's the only musical but still, to note your point, about right. that album I've heard is that, oh, Beyonce's rapping. Other than that, all the conversation is dominated with about how they look, how they're presenting themselves, what exactly. this means, not exactly. just for them, but what it means for black people in America at this point in time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Where, where are we at right I, now? Where that that's that's how we judge mm -hmm. where black folks are in 2018 in America is by this music video. Well, I mean, just an alternate view. No, I need you I to answer that for me. Where ask are me we? <laughs> ask me the question. Where are we at right now? I'm just playing with you. Go ahead. <laughs> um, in the early days of MTV, there were certain artists that really delve into and exploited the visual medium to accompany their songs. Um, Peter Gabriel is an artist that really jumps out at me. From 86, he had his So album, but uh, the Sledgehammer video, and also the Big Time video. Um, the, the two songs themselves, the, you know, they're good songs. They were popular songs that, you know, hits. I still play the album. They were hits and everything like that, you know, but there was, once you had that visual to it, you know, you p preferred to watch the video. I don't know if I preferred it. I think that those examples accentuated what was already in the song. I, don't, I think that I what we're looking at right now is that you're looking at a, a, a marriage between song and video that has to exist. In, in other words, again, they don't work without the other one. I think what you had in the 80s, and I think you hit on it before, even though we were joking about it, Bad is probably one of the best examples of this, and Thriller is probably one of the best examples of this also, is that you had artists, and I guess Michael Jackson kind of championed this, and then other artists kind of did it as well. But yeah, and, and Purple Rain is probably a great example Madonna of this. tried to do this with uh, Sex. Yeah, Sex the Book is probably a good example of this. What they did was they had a song or an album, and then that became the jumping off point for these other mediums, and they kind of expanded on the narrative of the, of the original source material. Mm -hmm. 
what I think I'm seeing with Donald Glover with the This in America video, since that's the one we're using as the, as the, as the example right now, it's not, the video is not using the song as a source material. They're joined together. And, and you could almost argue that the song is using the video as source material. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing I think John is getting at, is that wh- what does exactly. that do for the music? To me, what this comes down to is that we've said on the show before, we've talked about how there are, there's very few um, musicians actually creating music right now, creating mm-hmm. contemporary music right now. And I think one of the things that about humans, humans always go for, look for tools. We're always going to have tools. We mm-hmm. always need tools. Mm-hmm. And I think that in the absence of actual instruments has been what's been inserted into that void is technology, is the phone, is the iPhone, is the video, the camera, all these other things that have really have nothing to do with music. And so now you see artists again, they're more skilled at brand representation or presentation through their phones and through the technology that's at their disposal than they are at picking up an instrument and actually making music. Yeah. The only disagreement that I would have is that the phone now does have a lot to do with music because it's the primary means of distribution. Distribution. Is that making music though? No, that's distributing music. Well, sure. Yeah, but it's like if, if you didn't have a, if you're a musician, you're the greatest musician in the world. And you didn't have a way to, to get people to listen to your song. Like you didn't have a vehicle to get the song to the per, the people. Then but, nobody would know that you were the greatest. But in that scenario, at its most basic level, I could just play it, and anybody with my immediate vicinity is going to hear the music. So distribution is always going to be come second. The creation of the music comes first. Now we have the distribution and the presentation mm-hmm. coming first. I can almost imagine that a lot of these artists think of their brand presentation and how they want to, what type of look and what type of narrative they want to give off long before they come up with the music itself. I, I, I can almost, not all of them. I think, you know, mm-hmm. some of the top tier ones actually probably still do the music first. But I imagine some of these other ones probably, I look at um, a couple of releases that came out recently and it feels very much like, okay, the look and how this is going to go came long before the music. I look at Tiana Taylor, who just came out, I think, a few days ago. I listened to her album yesterday, mm-hmm. and I looked at the album cover. Was any good? No. Right. I looked at the album cover. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I've only listened to it once. There, mm-hmm. there was some, I, I told you, Han, there was some, some, there was some nice qualities to it. But overall, out of those, you know, just for the record, out of those four releases that Kanye did recently, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, the Kid Cudi release is by far the best, in my opinion. Um, it's something I've listened to repeatedly since then. But anyway, um, I digress. So the the Tiana Taylor, the the look of the album cover, and it felt to me, and just the whole presentation of it felt like that was the primary thing. The music felt like it was based on that, as opposed to the other way around. Mm-hmm. Um, so to Jahan's point, I just feel that yeah, what does this mean for the music? I don't think it means anything good. Um, again, I take Donald Glover out of the conversation because he's a different type of artist. But for these other cats who are coming out with, you know, this, who are going to follow his example, maybe, um, I think we're looking for some, I think we have some really good visual things coming mm-hmm. our way. I think mm-hmm. that's going to be something that we really can look forward to and enjoy as far as evolution of music. I don't see that happening. Well, okay, let me devil's advocate this a bit. I mean, it's, is it, can we say that it's the really say that it's the artist's fault? And what I mean by that is take and it doesn't have to be, you know, 30 years ago, you know, just say, let's say 15 years ago. It took it was a lot of effort that needed to go into being able to 
put him out, put an album out, and then have visuals to go with that music. Now, because of the phone, because of the, the means of distribution, there's a near immediacy that can happen where you've got music, video, the whole image, music, video, website. It takes a shorter amount of time to be able to push all of this out. So, so is it wrong to say that an artist is thinking about the visuals ahead of having all the music together? I don't think that's completely fair. For me, is you know, without without knowing any of these people personally, nothing about Beyonce's push or Donald Glover's drop seemed undeliberate. Seemed very, very thought mm-hmm. out, very, very calculated, very, very. You know, I'm not saying it is in a bad way, but very, very deliberate. Basically, they were they were pushing out an art piece rather than music. And what I mean by that, so just to anybody listening who is in love with these two products, I'm not saying it's not music necessarily. Or you know that that I think it's bad or anything like that. What I am saying is that traditionally, in in my view, a musician writes a song, composes a song with melody, rhythm, harmony, uh, records the rehearses the song, practices the song, records the song, and then they think about promotional material to accompany the song. Mm-hmm. And a video traditionally has been promotional material. Right. It doesn't feel like that has been the process. The product is the multimedia drop. Mm-hmm. The music and the video, they form part of that product. So if your question is, can we blame the artist, etc.? Well, they're simply taking advantage, perhaps, of the utensils that we have now, that everybody has uh, you know, a supercomputer, right. basically, in their pocket. Right. And we want to devour this material as soon as we get it. Perhaps these two artists very, very cleverly have worked out the the artist with the most product um, that can satisfy each of these channels, each of these distribution channels, is going to be the one who wins. You know, I've got them on Spotify. I've also got them on YouTube. I've also got them on you know whatever mm-hmm. IG IGTV. Mm-hmm. I've got them mm-hmm. everywhere, and wherever they turn, it's my product. But it does seem like Isaac is saying more geared towards the brand and the advertising than necessarily it living and dying with the music on its own. And I think I think Arthur's question is a fair one because again again the there is that pressure on new artists or you know contemporary artists to I can't just focus on the music. You know, I have to focus on all these other Exposure. things. Which to be fair, you know, that's it's always been that way. Right. You know, so right. every there's been A&R But before and, it know, was all about okay, how can I get my picture in this magazine? Right. Or you now, know Now the magazine is not a, it that's not relevant right before you had many you had fewer things to focus on and you had very dedicated time slots now it's 24 7 365 Mm -hmm. um how you present yourself and what that story is going to be but again i feel like a lot of this is beyonce's fault and i mean that as a compliment because the beyonce album which is my favorite beyonce album that the, the the music and the accompanying videos i think that was the perfect blend you know, the way it's released, how the videos complemented the music, I thought was brilliant. But when you get to Lemonade, to me, Lemonade suffered, the music of Lemonade suffered a little bit because of the pressure I think she had to present that whole, you know, visual component. Um, you, but, but, okay, did she have the pressure to well, create it or was it more, this is what I want to do? Both. You see what I'm saying? Both. I think even though you're, you're you know, at the top of the... Like nobody it's, asked for these albums, right? But way. heavy is the head that wears the crown. It's mm-hmm. hard to uh-huh. when you're at the top of the the heap, you still have a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. So there was an expectation for her to top 
what she did with the Beyonce album. Mm -hmm. And Lemonade to me reflected that. And to me, I think it suffered a little bit because of that. Um, it didn't it didn't reach the heights of the Beyonce album, in my opinion. And then Donald Glover. I think what we're going to see right now is that I love what she Beyonce did. I love what Donald Glover did. I think what's going to happen now is we're going to see diminishing diminishing returns. Mm -hmm. We're going to have other artists try to keep keep trying to emulate that or keep trying to beat that. And the music is going to suffer because of that. Artists, artists, record label, everything are going to be focusing more on the brand presentation. Used to have a certain section of the record company that focused on that completely. Mm -hmm. I think everybody's going to be focused on that now. If you look at when, if you if you draw a line in the sand from the Beyonce album before and after, if you look at every what happened after that album dropped, everyone was trying to top that surprise release. Everybody since then, let's drop an album without telling anybody. Mm -hmm. That became the thing, mm -hmm. all the way up into the point where Kanye, in my opinion, was the only person to outdo her to some extent because he dropped the album and then kept working on the album Talk while it was in your hands. The Life of Pablo. Life of Pablo. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot yeah, of people didn't. did the fashion show. Right. And, and a lot of people didn't like that. Yeah. But I thought that was, to me, that was the most interesting thing that had happened since the Beyonce album. Mm -hmm. So if you look at if you look at that and say, okay, what has happened since then? We've had diminishing returns since that album as far as that type of, you know, release. In other words, everybody tried to top her. Nobody really did it except mm -hmm. for um, Ye coming close. So, I think the same thing is going to be said about this visual component. You're going to see people try to marry their music with the video and the brand presentation more and more and more and more, whether it's through YouTube, whether it's through IGTV, whatever it is, continual basis of presenting, you know, putting that forward. Yes, I do think the music is going to suffer more than it's already suffered. It's already suffering. But I think that that is going to hurt it even more. Do you think the audience itself now wants a story a visual story to accompany music one, i think want and need are two different things i think that or i should say i think want and expect are two different things i think the audience now right. expects and i want to keep stressing i know i keep saying it the two words brand presentation but to me it's not just a video a music video it's brand presentation and i think audiences are indoctrinated to this point especially kids who grew up in this you know uh tweens you know 13 and 14 year olds mm -hmm. who have never experienced anything different they expect that sort of brand presentation what they want though they want a dope track you know what i'm saying they want a dope song mm -hmm. and to me at some point it may come to a head it may come to a head where it's like okay yeah this this whole brand presentation this video whatever is dope but this song sucks you know so it doesn't succeed um mm -hmm. i think I'm, you know, the child is This Is America. To me, it's not a great track to me. I, you know, you, Arthur, you must, mm -hmm. you would probably listen to mm -hmm. it more than I have. Yeah. But it's a brilliant, you know, presentation, brilliant video. Everything about that is was dope. So to me, that was the interest of it. If it would have just been released as a track, I would have listened to it probably a few times. Oh, okay, this is cool. And moved on and probably never listened to it again. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I see what you're saying, Jay, but I think that, yeah, we're, I think we're looking at, diminishing returns mm -hmm. but but let me ask you this question though because you know we get we're getting a technology and we're living in an age where you know this is one of the most remarkable technological ages of in the history of mankind so 
the question I have is that, you know, we can look back through music history and see where technology has led to new sounds, you know, creating new sounds, mm-hmm. you know, in the studio. Mm-hmm. This We got this now so we can do this or we accidentally touched this button and it did this. So now that's the new. Tr- We've seen that throughout history, throughout modern music history yeah. say over the last, you know, 80 years. Yeah. When was the last time you heard about technology creating a new sound? Hip hop. That long ago. Yeah. So recently, in recent history, all this technology that has been coming out over the last, say, 20 years, you know, because 20 years ago looks like the dark ages compared to now Mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, consumer technology. Mm -hmm. So all this technology is coming out. We none of this has created a new sound. And that to me is the essence of what Jahan is of what Jahan said earlier, because we can look at some of this technology and see how it's created a new look, a new visual mm-hmm. component to the music. But none of this technology has led to a new sound. And that's a problem. To your point, yeah, it's helped become a distributor. It's helped become a recording device. Yeah. You know and I don't think that that's a problem. I don't think that it's a bad thing. Not necessarily. I'm not saying not that you're necessarily saying problem, that it's a bad problem, thing. Not necessarily but I'm saying that I think it of, deserves yeah, to be the same, you know, uh, um, uh, on the same level as the the creation that's why I disagree with you because distribution cannot be on the same level as creation because creation has to come before distribution you if we all we got is distribution at a high level it doesn't mean anything we're just distributing crap you know what I'm saying it's like that's that's that Fahrenheit 451 and all that other shit that's that dystopian futures that you see because distribution is at all time high nobody is creating dope shit though but that's not technology's problem and what I'm saying is if there were if if there were 20 people that create all of them created dope shit and all different so-called genres of music, but nobody heard other than the people that lived in their building, then who cares? Those people in the building. Care. All 20 of them. Right. All 30 of them. Or however. But you get, so that's why I'm saying that, but, but, that, but, but that there has to be a means. It's just like books. I, who cares if you've if you've written a masterpiece if only five people have ever read it? Outside of those five people, everybody else doesn't know until a press comes to actually print that. But you know out. what? That's a brilliant that's a brilliant point. I'm glad you brought that up because in the '90s, what we saw in the book industry uh-huh. was technology. Suddenly, anybody could distribute their books. Anybody could publish a book. And you got greatness, and you got garbage. No, we got a very small. I mean, like minute, small amount of greatness. An enormous amount of garbage. Well, that's what I'm saying. You get so, both. You're going to get both ends. But yeah, because, but yeah, because but, you can, you do, and that's that's. But you if know, you go back, but if you go back to what I just said a minute ago, when was the last time you heard about technology creating new sound? We're not getting that. Period. Right, but I just don't think that. I think they're mutually exclusive. I'm not pointing. I'm not pointing a finger at technology. I'm just saying this is a this is a reality. So something has to be done, or else we're going to be getting a lot of crap, and everybody's going to have access to it. And nobody's going to be inspired by it. Well, we need a Black Mirror episode about this so that we can. <laughs> I mean, but like John said earlier, <laughs> we've seen these dystopian futures. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not trying to play in, paint a picture like, yeah, if this doesn't change, we're all going to hell. And that's what, you know, it's, it's going to look like these these movies we've seen. But I think there is a point to be made that creation has to come over distribution i think the biggest problem well to your point the biggest problem of of the ease of distribution has been it's very difficult now almost pin and needle in a haystack to find really good stuff yeah the universe there's the what's that old maxim the universe of horror is a vacuum so when you create all these distribution means all these 
um, pathways and, and, you know, to access, they need content. And so now what you have corporations saying, we need content, content creators. That's the new term Mm -hmm. content creators. We need creatives. We don't need artists, fucking artists. We need creatives, Mm -hmm. creatives. But hold on. Not so fast. Is a content creator the same thing as a creative? Uh, In my book. Yeah. Yeah. The creative creative is the corporate corporate term for artist. So and creative has been around for a long time. You know, they've been in the, in the advertising industry. The word creative is around for a long time. Only now has it been expanded. And again, thanks in part to technology that you can throw a brick out a window and hit somebody who's going to call themselves a creative. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what are they but, creating? Probably nothing. They're probably, you know, I guess I don't know. Something about it just rubs me entirely the wrong way. It's a, content creator sounds like a job. Yeah. So it's creative. Okay, I know what you mean in your industry, the design industry, etc. Absolutely, but a creative person. No, you're using to me. Sounds you're like using an it as an adjective. I'm using it as a noun. Creative person okay. is an artist. A creative used as a noun. That's the corporate term for artist. So yeah, that's okay. yeah, no, yeah, that's. And I'm glad you said that because there might have been some confusion around that. If you use it as an adjective, you can say this person is creative. Yeah, you're talking about somebody who has an artistic capability or sensibility about them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, mm-hmm. in the corporate world, in the advertising world, in the, in, in, in the music world, um, when they say, oh, here's a, he, he's a creative or she's a creative. I feel you. That's a noun. And so you have these people who are content creators basically creating, you know, because these, these pathways, like I said before, need content now. Mm-hmm. And so we have to fill that content and that becomes a 24, seven, 365 demand. Mm-hmm. IGTV, the reason that they got at uh, Kim Kardashian and anybody else with, you know, more than hundred thousand followers early was because they didn't want to launch this new platform without having content. Mm-hmm. They want content immediately available so people can experience this and say, oh, this is dope. Let me sign up or let me put my video on. Here. Sure. You need people to you need bodies. You to, need bodies. And so as long as we need bodies, what do we do in any industry when we need bodies? What, where did that even where did that phrase even come from? It comes from a lack of um, selection mm-hmm. based on quality. It mm-hmm. comes from we just need to throw bodies at it. Mm-hmm. We're not going to send our ace crew out there in the speaking military in the military term. Now, we're not going to send our ace crew out there. Throw some bodies at it. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Let mm-hmm. them get mowed down while we're doing this other shit. Mm-hmm. So as long as we have that, I think that's where the problem is, Arthur, is that we're not, you know, we're not putting create creativity first. We're not putting art first. Right. We're putting bodies. We're putting content. We're putting distribution, all this other shit. And as you said, artist is different to a creator. Exactly. So, you know, art yeah. suffers from this. And it's not it's not technology's fault. I'm not pointing the finger because technology is going to evolve one way or the other. But again, I keep going back to when is the last time this technology created a new sound? Well, do we have any thoughts about trying to wrap up the topic? Do we have any thoughts about how this can sort of balance itself out? You know, to me, to wrap this up, to me, the dopest and the most, the, the hottest like pop star to me right now, the most interesting cat who's doing it in the game right now is not a musician. It's, uh, John, correct me if I say his name, pronounce his name wrong. It's Virgil Abloh. Is it Ablo or mm-hmm. Ablo? Oh yeah, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. He's yeah, 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 the yeah. dopest, most interesting pop musician, pop star right now to me, and he's not a musician. <laughs> he's a he's a fashion designer. Mm-hmm. But his authenticity, his if you follow him on Instagram, just you know, some of the things he says, he's more he's more real to me, he's more interesting to me 
Um, he's obviously hella successful right now. It's his moment right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's that dude right now. And so that says a lot to me visually about where we are visually as a culture, as a culture, because he's just most he's the most intriguing cat out there right now to me more much far far more interesting to me than any of these other these recording artists Mm. he he gets it musically as well like um louis vuitton under him has hired uh, benji b as their musical director so a couple of points benji b is a english dj a sort of underground soul hip-hop deep house dj with impeccable taste and I don't even know if I can call him underground anymore. I mean, he still plays that type of music, but he's on our biggest radio station nationwide here, Radio One, to sort of um, drive their music. So the first question is, hang on, when have fashion labels ever had a music director? Right. And perhaps they have, but what is the purpose here? And it seems like Virgil very cleverly is trying to remix the image of Louis Vuitton, perhaps because he and the people he reports into have got an eye on not 2018 sales but 2038 sales and maybe they're thinking hang on how how much longer the demographic that's buying our luggage right now because that's really what we're known for when are they going to die out what are we going to replace it with and how can we can we rely on our luggage and you know Mm -hmm. this this um what we're known for can we rely on that being attractive to the current generation and and I guess it looks like they're thinking, no, we can't. We've got to build ourselves out into something that appeals to them. And very cleverly, perhaps, he's he's looking at um, adding music to to his domain. And, and I guess, Isaac, you can, you can draw almost the opposite parallel between the two artists that we've talked about for the last 60 minutes in that he's got another product and he's using music to make it fresh and make it hip and connect to people. But it's interesting to me that he's chosen Benji. Yeah. Very interesting mm-hmm. to me that he's chosen Benji and not someone like, I don't know, Ebro or, or one of these really hot kind of mainstream DJs. He's chosen someone who decidedly isn't mainstream and is decide, is very fresh, is very, very hip. And I'm assuming if Benji plays what he's played his whole career, isn't going to play current top 40 hits, is going to play something with much more of a sort of curatorial feel Mm. to it okay so maybe the answer is we gotta have people that care and (laughs) have the power to be able to people who are authentic yeah Yeah. that that is it authenticity and and i I don't want to i don't want to wrap this up by sort of suggesting that beyonce and childish aren't no i i I think she she absolutely is and i think that again like i said earlier i blame her for this but i give her i say that as a compliment because I think she's she what she did was at the pinnacle, um, and mm-hmm, we're on our mm-hmm. way down the slope. But yeah, I think we need people. I think I think people we, we need people who, um, who are whose who the the music itself is their sole obsession. Mm-hmm. All right, and then every everything yeah. else kind of you know it grows yeah. out of that. All right, yeah. Okay, we solved it for you, world. Let's <laughs> do a roundtable. We're calling this one. Picture this. What album would have been better received with different cover art? Okay, what album would have been better received by the public, by consumers, with different cover art? Doesn't matter if it was considered a success. A success, it can be a successful album. Well, just... the presumption is that it would have done better. It would have okay. been more successful uh, had, I, the, had the, in spite of the cover, or, or, or 
But don't let don't let that stop you though. If you've got this, one that you think is a strong suggestion, and the irony being that this is in 2018, what you know, album covers do they even matter anymore? Even though we well, just got a, done talking about the that's visual a different impact. topic. But I think it depends on the artist because mm-hmm. I mean, Kanye, for example, he puts Effort. he puts a lot of emphasis on, yeah. the, on on revealing his cover art. All right. Interesting. All right. Somebody else go isn't first. It, isn't it actually before we before we completely ruin that topic for future use uh isn't it isn't it interesting how everything is so visual today with ig and the way the way an artist represents their brand and yet cover art is kind of completely right i I have no idea what the cover of beyonce and jay's album is it's that the, I the think hair it's braiding still from the video. The hair braiding, yeah. Oh, okay. See, I didn't. I thought That's that right. was just a clip. Yeah. From Sister the video. braiding my man's hair with the Mona Lisa it, it, in the back. It is, but that is it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Didn't know that. I actually like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's dope. Mm-hmm. Very dope. Arthur, you go first. Um, I don't want to be the prince guy. Go on, do it. Do it. You want to do it? Do it. <laughs> you know which one you want to say? Go ahead and say it. <laughs> <laughs> That's from a movie. I don't know what movie though, but yeah. Green light. You are you are cleared hot for time. <laughs> All, right. All right. I'm just gonna say it. Say it. Prince Love Sexy 1988. That, mm. al- that album would have done For the record, I bought my Prince Love Sexy album and carried it in pride everywhere I went. On a chain around my neck. <laughs> <laughs> when you bought it, the guy said, And here's your receipt, and here's a bag, and you were like, No bag. No bag necessary. Right, I'm going to get on the bus with this. Right, let me just attach this this chain around right. my neck. <laughs> no, what year was that? 1988. Okay, that was, you know, okay, so yeah, the first Prince album I ever bought was, with my own money, was uh, Parade. So that was post-Parade. I don't know if I bought that Love Sexy album myself. And you would have had it been a different cover, I think, is Arthur's point, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, if point. you shopped at Walmart, you didn't get it because they would, wouldn't stock it because of the cover. Mm. And then the, I forget there was another store that would only sell it like like if it was like a Playboy <laughs> magazine or something like that, like mm. behind the counter in a brown That's bag. That's so hilarious. Mm. America is so hilarious. So you go to Walmart, you get lost, you're not sure where to look for End stuff. End up in the gun section. You ask, yeah, you ask a helpful guy in the semi-automatic <laughs> rifle section. Hey, do you have Prince's new album? And he says, oh, no, we don't stock that. We don't do new music. This is America, buddy. We have values. Right. (laughs) So wait, wait, Arthur, Arthur, roll it back. Roll it back. Roll it back. Explain to to the people what the cover was. Okay. So so, uh, the cover was photographed by a very famous French photographer, uh, Jean-Baptiste Modino. Modino. And um, it depicts, it's, it's a white cover. The base is white in color. And it pictures Prince naked. Um, strategically um, um, naked except for a crucifix na- okay naked except for a crucifix and he's always count on the Brits for accuracy and <laughs> no no but it's, Im- it's but important it's important it's part of the, the symbolism of- mm-hmm. and um, his legs he's strategically um, concealing his junk and on, a, on an adjacent flower there's an adjacent flower to his lotus lotus, l- lotus petals to his right and there is a stem that's coming from the center of the lotus flower. The tip of the stem is, in fact, a, a tip. <laughs> what what type of tip do you mean, Arthur? <laughs> phallic. Just say phallic. It's a phallic symbol. Fucking Americans, man. You guys are so conservative. 
and phallic um, symbol. This, it is a penis, in fact. And outside, <laughs> outside of the outside of the exterior plastic, with the, there's a sticker. Prince loves sexy, but if you put you know you peel the plastic off of it, it's got no branding on it. You just see you, you just see it's Prince. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's no on 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 the artwork itself. Right. There's no, on the cover art itself. There's no. There's no font at all. There's no text at all. Right. It's just represented as a sticker on the outer plastic, yeah, plastic uh, shrink wrap. And he's got his hand on his heart as well, doesn't uh, he? Yeah, he's got his right hand, yeah, over his heart. And he's looking. He's looking into the distance, kind of stoically and almost sort of angelically. Yeah. He's he's pre- you know he's presented the presentation is is very is is akin to Renaissance art and the human form in a very you know in a very godlike relaxed repose kind of like yeah and it's really it's very it can be interpreted in numerous ways but i mean it's a rebirth right because he if he reaches his hand out it's the michelangelo joint Mm -hmm. because it's and then you put someone on the other side reaching he's you know the guy i think who's in the michelangelo joint god and is it who who is that yeah it's god and adam so yeah so if he reaches his hand out he's that's it's almost like a recreation of that because he's very relaxed kind of like you said almost angelic yeah and he's sitting on a bed of flowers. Um, now, the funny thing is, this is actually the alternate cover. So the original cover is him jumping in the air with his arms spread, shirtless, and he's got on black <laughs> bikini underwear with kind of a black, like almost a leg warmer type. There's kind of a um, like a like a like a, a, a glittery glittery embroidery along the side of of each leg of these uh stockings that he's kind of wearing and and why was that cover thrown aside for for this cover um i don't know the answer to that question short of when he got with uh mondino he liked the he liked the photography he liked the polaroids that he was presented and prince picked the photo that is the photo of love sexy from all of the shots that Mondino had made, and he destroyed all the rest of the Polaroids. <laughs> so there's no other photo from that session in existence because Prince burned it. Of course he bloody did. Well, can you blame him, though? I mean, some of, some of them were probably showing his genitalia if he moved the wrong yeah, way, yeah. you know? So I, I don't blame him for destroying those. I mean, I don't blame him either, but you got to figure not every one of them did. He, he just didn't want any alternate images out of it. Well, I have to say, you said that this the alternate version wouldn't have done him any favors. To me, it would have done him worse favors. This this the alternate version is horrible. It's much worse than the the one he went with. The alternate version just looks cheap. It yeah. looks. It then looks there's no cheap, airbrushing it looks, to it. There's no photo treatment to it or anything like that. Listen, I, and I'm not saying that the, that it would help the cover. It, the, the actual love sexy cover is much better. Right. Than well, let's this. let's look at the, let's talk about the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room is that there was a lot of homophobia going on around this this the, the eventual Absolutely. cover. Sure. So if if there was a lot of homophobia going around that cover. The alternate version would have amped it up even more. Oh, absolutely. Sure. Now, sure. hold on. Just for the benefit of our listeners, if you go to Google, go to Google Images and search Prince Use Dance that. Music Sex Romance. Not DMSR, but Prince Dance Music Sex Romance. And what's gonna, what you'll get in your results, uh, there'll be an image, and it's actually an album cover, uh, which is a, of a bootleg of a show that he did in 1988, an after show that he did in 1988 in The Hague in the Netherlands. 
and you'll see the photo that I'm that I'm describing to you. Trust me, you can't miss it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So hold on, I have a question though, Arthur. The original cover. So he goes to the trouble of, at the very least, hiding his genitalia. Mm-hmm. Why? What is what is the purpose of the flower then? The penis flower. Is that was that his like? saying I'm still going to get a penis in here even though you're not <laughs> I'm being a hundred percent serious uh-huh I'm not I'm not I'm being serious was this his middle finger saying okay I know that I have to hide my stuff I can't appear naked on the cover but I'm going to get some genitalia in this in this photo you know it's very possible I mean the history that princess had with uh, um, the PMRC was an organization that was started by Tipper Gore the wife of former mm-hmm. vice president Al Gore where she lobbied Congress um, after hearing Purple Rain, after hearing her daughter's copy of Purple Rain and hearing the song Darling Nikki. And she took offense that her daughter was allowed to buy this to buy, to buy this album with a song like that. <laughs> no, that's, that's fact. I'm so it was, it was Darling Nikki from Purple Rain, and it was also, to a lesser extent, Like a Virgin, the song Like a Virgin from Madonna's second album that motivated Tipper Gore to create this organization, solicit Congress, and it's the reason why albums are sold with parental vi- advisory stickers on it. So, Love Sexy was an album upon release that did not carry a parental advisory on it. It could very well be that this was his big opportunity to, yeah, stick it to the Tipper. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> That's all conjecture. <laughs> Here's my question, though. Okay. <laughs> Freudian slips aside. So what do you guys think this album cover, what is the story he's telling with this album cover? What is what, think, what is he saying here? I think it's, look, man, I, I think it's perfect. I thought it was perfect in 1988. I think it's perfect now. Um, I... I never thought of it as anything other than Celestial. It's a great introduction it was, to the content of the album. It, absolutely. You it front. is perfectly symbolic of the content of the album. Okay. I, I agree with both of you. And I think though... It's like he's he, he's presenting himself as an angel. He's I'm not saying he's an angel, but he he's presenting himself as an angel, as a cherub, right? As a seraphim, something like I, that. I disagree slightly and, there though. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, well, the whole music, like the only thing that's missing from this cover art is wings. Yeah. Like you could, you know, and you mentioned the Renaissance sort of feel to it. It's, uh, I'm not, I'm not saying that he's any of those things, not by a long shot. But what I am saying is representative of the album of, you know, a man's journey finding God, especially where it came from mm-hmm. post Black mm-hmm. Album and it being the antithesis of the concept of the Black Album and even the cover of the Black Album. Yeah, essentially yeah. essentially, uh, this is his gospel album, right? Absolutely. I said that on the... Um, a lot of people are saying that now. I said that on the um, first Prince episode we ever did and absolutely. So I, I, I agree with everything you guys said except I don't think, and we'll never know, but I don't think he was presenting himself as angelic so much as he was making a statement about being human. In other words, I feel like this is him saying this is humans elevated to the point that they should be elevated to. Yeah, but in our most natural, beautiful, you know, heavenly state, but not 
I'm an angel. Sure. But, and not, I in think a, that, but not in a vacuum. Yeah, I mean, the, I, whole, I, I the content of the whole album has to do with salvation and reaching that pinnacle. That pinnacle. Yeah. Yeah. I th- salvation is a better way to put it. I don't mean that he's saying he's, you know, physically an angel. I mean that. Well, you said wings. Right. But I'm just saying the representation is angelic in the way that the wings would be symbolic just as a lotus flower is like you know ain't no one sitting on lotus flowers in real life unless you're you know meditating in the himalayas but there's definitely a surrealism to the photograph to the cover anyway right um and i think wings wouldn't have been misplaced in that i mean i'm glad i'm glad it doesn't have the wings it would have been overkill in that way but it's kind of i'm i guess i'm just trying to say it's all headed in that i mean it's a great closer it's a great bookend for the for the classic period. You know, he's had a lot of great covers through this period, but this is the first one that's just full on, spot on presented as art. Absolutely. Yeah, I and, mean, and, I think and, to and, me, and in, I still like the Sign of the Times cover better, but I get what you guys are saying. Agreed. Agreed. But I think agreed. that for him, again, and I, yeah, I think I'm I'm right in line with you guys because to me, for him, this was how he feels like humans should be represented, and I think that. He also, and I asked you guys earlier about the penis flower, and I think that his inclusion of that was his, his you know, continual reference to what where sexuality fits within the divine. Mm-hmm. So you have this divine image, heavenly angelic um, image, and his inclusion of this phallic symbol, which is erect. It's not just it's not just a it's not just a phallic symbol that he threw in. It's obviously an erect penis that he threw in here, and the reason I think he did that was because to say his again to promote what he's promoted constantly through his music, him and Marvin, the freedom of sexuality and the beauty of sexuality is not something that we should shy away from just because we're trying to be divine or just because we're trying to be holy. I agree with everything that you said, but. The only thing that I, not that I don't agree with it, but the only thing that is kind of news to me is the is the phallic symbol aspect. At the time when it came out, and for years after that, I never noticed it. Mm-hmm. I never. I just thought here's it's, it's not here's overt. A dude on a lotus flower. I mean, it's 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 not overt. It's a contrasting color, so I mean, I think, your eyes effectively yeah. drawn I mean, to it, key, but not as a primary. Is, it's more overt than the than the same symbol in the 1999 joint, though. I mean, I see it now that... <laughs> you can't stop seeing it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like I needed someone to point it out and now I see it. But I was always aware that people could misunderstand it or people could get something totally different. But it seemed to be unsexual to me and, and the expression played a big part in what I interpreted as well because his expression is just real peaceful, real sort of meditative, right? Yeah. I think that's his point though. I think that's his that's his exact point because it's not I, I I get it now. I get it now, but back then I just and it's silly of me, I like I said cuz the clue is in the title, but I didn't think there was anything sexual about right. it. Right. But back to your the original thing, Arthur, you feel that had this album had different cover art, right. it would have sold a lot more specifically because of two reasons, the homoeroticism, yeah, the homophobia, yeah, and the I don't know what the term is, but the um, specific uh, American sensibility of fear of the nude body, mm-hmm. whether it be male or female. In whereas to your point, Jahan, about the joke you said earlier, you know, violence, guns, and violence—that's okay. Um, but you mm-hmm. know, Janet Jackson shows a nipple at the Super Bowl, and you know, it's you know all hands on deck. It's the apocalypse. Um, so I think those those factors played a role in the fact that this album 
absolutely probably would have sold more copies um, had it had a different, less sexual, quote unquote, cover. Uh, you want me to go, Joe? I got one. Go ahead, Joe. All right, all right, all right. So mine, my choice, my choice for this question is Terence Trent Darby's "Neither Flesh Nor mm. Flesh," a soundtrack of love, faith, hope, and destruction. Okay, that's a good one. I can go with that. So a bit of background on the record and the cover itself. It came out in 1989, uh, October 1989, and it was on Columbia Records. And it followed his 1987 hit, introducing the hardline, according to Terence Trent Darby. And it also followed a lot of interviews that he gave when he came on quite strong in the promotion, comparing himself to the Beatles. And I think he also did that in like the 20th anniversary of year of uh, Sergeant Pepper. And that kind of soured a lot of the press against him. And um, I get into why he did that later, but. The cover itself is a photograph by an English rock photographer. It's it's a photo of Terence Trent Darby, sort of head and shoulders photo photo of him, but you can barely see his shoulders and you can barely see his head. Um, You can barely see his face. The contrast is very, very, very heavy. So most of the photograph is black and you see part of his face obscured by both of his hands, which kind of cross his face in a kind of, I guess, a strange kind of pose. So you you really only see one eye and one eyebrow and like a cheekbone in full. Uh, And the rest is his hands and then the black around him. And just like Love Sexy, there's no text or font on the cover. Just like Love Sexy, the record company slapped a sticker on it. This time it's a, a circular sticker, which was black, I guess, to fit in with the background. And it had it had white, very, very small white writing, the title and the artist. And I think the writing was circular around the edge of the sticker, so it was still quite esoterically designed. The album itself is a real pastiche. It's ambitious as hell. It covers, I would say, mostly rock and soul. I really like it. It may not have stood up as as, as much as it impacted me in 1989, but I still, I still really, really like it. While the cover beautifully matched and complemented the content, I think it was just maybe a little bit too much for some people. You know, he's, he's a good-looking guy. It didn't promote that. It didn't really promote his image other than esoteric um, and, and mysterious. To not even be able to see his face, I know probably is not what the record company would have wanted or not what the public would have wanted at that time either. I do think that a more traditional photograph kind of playing up to his image and his looks would have helped he later said that every album he turned into Columbia, they were like, what is this? What are you doing? This is not, uh, this is not what a black artist uh-huh. does. They gave him that usual kind of run around that black music is here and you are over here and that's the wrong place. <laughs> mm-hmm. you, need to, you need to be where it is. And they refused to kind of let him grow. I mean, I guess they did let him grow by releasing it, but I think they dropped it with no promotion, um, which was probably quite easy for them to do, given that the cover art didn't really... Um, sell anything other than the sort of meaning and esoteric nature of the album. This is actually my favorite album cover of his. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, it's my favorite album of his. I'm sure the title of the album. I, I, think, it, I think it's one of the great album covers of all time, quite frankly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, to, to Arthur's point, to me, the, the title of the album was the worst part of the album to me. Like, Love the title. I hate, 
I don't, I'm not a, I mean, as a writer, there's just certain words I don't like that I try to avoid, and fish is one of them. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's my, it's my writing OCD. It's like there's just words that I just do not like, and fish is one of them. I don't like the way it sounds. I don't like the way it looks on the page. I just don't like it. So neither fish nor flesh. Flesh, I actually love. I love that word. But combining it with fish, that always turned me off. But the uh, the the actual image I loved, and I remember buying this cassette and trying to keep the cassette like the actual cassette in good condition because I thought that you know the, the the cover art was so dope. Remember the tape had the, one of those wraparound covers. Did it? Where the back cover had the little holes in it. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. What was the what was the name? Some of the songs, uh, Jay. My favorite yep. track on there is I Have Faith in These Desolate yeah. Times. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but some of the other ones... Um, to Know Someone Deeply. That's I think that's the big tune, yeah. right? That yeah. most people know. To Know Someone mm-hmm. Deeply is To Know Someone Softly. That was the most marketable joint. Yeah, I, th- I think... I think... I think Billy Don't Fall was quite marketable. I think it feels good to love someone like you. Um, this Side of Love would be very marketable not to what Columbia thought his demographic was. But let me ask you this, though. Do you think, so let's say we change this album cover, put a more, quote-unquote, traditional um, black male image or black pop male singer image on here. More people buy the album. Are they going to be, does the music represent the album cover, you know, as is? Yeah. Or would they have gotten it and been like, what the hell this this isn't what i thought this was going to be i've been i've been missold yeah i think i think they would have been i think okay so don't be cruel came out like what two years beforehand yeah. if he's on the cover of this uh <laughs> cocked to the side with, 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 with a fade and, that look on his face um in a suit and you know that look and you know a nice chunky ass watch <laughs> and everything yeah People would be like, okay, hang on, this is not what I expected. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it would have got it would have got in more people's collections. Well, a savvy, a savvy have, record. It might have a savvy record store owner could have moved <laughs> a few more copies. But interesting thing that he said was his two biggest influences in terms of his image. Guess who they were? Prince and who? Muhammad Ali and LL Cool J. I don't believe him. That's what mm. he says, and he Ma- said it for Ma- this Ali, reason. I believe, but I don't believe LL Cool J was one of his. Well, he said it for this reason. He just moved to London. It's 1986. Mm. He went to see LL Cool J in the summer of 1986 at Brixton Academy, and he said he was blown away by LL's confidence and what he called a beautiful arrogance. Mm-hmm. Other than Ali, he'd never seen someone with that much swagger, with that much confidence. Mm. Okay. And okay, I changed my. Very taken. I changed. I believe him now. He brought that into all of his album promo in terms of interviews. But he didn't bring that, perhaps, to his album promo in terms of cover art. Mm. Okay, what you got? Mine is actually slightly different from you guys in the sense that this 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 album this album sold an estimated ten million. 640,000 copies in the United States had they taken my suggestion and changed the cover <laughs> art it would it have sold more 10 million 640,000 and one because you because you bought it in the United States because in 1991 I probably would have copped it or at least taken an interest in it 
this album was shown to me by somebody and before I'd even heard any any songs on it, mm-hmm. didn't know anything about it, mm-hmm. I was like, nah, and kept moving. I'm talking about Nirvana's <laughs> Nevermind cover. <laughs> so <laughs> kind so you- of a kind of a, a cousin in some senses to Prince's Love Sexy. <laughs> so everybody knows this cover. It's the one with the uh baby boy uh floating caucasian little baby boy floating in the water um with a dollar bill hanging in front of him so i just i I looked on wikipedia and found out that um that the cover was a the concept came from kurt cobain and uh uh what's the other cast name dave Uh, grohl dave grohl they're watching uh some some documentary on water births on television and that's where the idea came from so long story short, um, they ended up shooting this. They were going to use stock imagery and that became expensive, blah, blah, blah. They ended up shooting this. Um, and the kid was actually a, uh, somebody's, a friend of theirs. Um, it was their little boy. And the kid's name was uh, is Spencer Eldon. Interesting enough, side note, according to Wikipedia, for the 10th, 17th, and 25th anniversaries of the album, Spencer Eldon recreated the front cover shot for photographers each time. So I guess you oh, guess you guys already knew this. I didn't know that a grown man was, you know, jumping jumping in the pool. That. Yeah, I didn't know. I, he I wanted know that. to do the 25th anniversary shot nude, but the photographer preferred that he wore swim shorts. I guess he had grown to that point where they were like, "Well, we can't cover that with a sticker." So, mm. Cobain, <laughs> love sexy. Yeah, at least Prince did the penis flower. This is so. Anyway, uh, I guess at the time. Um, let me see. Uh, da, 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 da. They prepared an alternate cover that didn't show the little boy's penis um, as they were afraid it would offend people. Um, but Cobain made it clear that he would only accept, the only thing he would accept was a sticker covering the penis that would say, if you're offended by this, you must be a closet pedophile, which I think is hilarious. Um, so I, and I, I, I that, that was a dope sticker. Had it been on the album, I guess it didn't go on the album. <laughs> So in any, any regard, I remember in 1991, vaguely I remember, this is a yeah. long time ago, mm-hmm. I vaguely remember seeing this, somebody showing me this cover or whatever, this album, and this was the hot shit, because this mm-hmm. album just, you know, this was this is their second album, but this is the one that blew them up, right? Because right. this is the one with Teen Spirit on it. Right. Um, but I, you know, glanced at it, saw a little baby floating in water mm-hmm. with a dollar bill. Hard pass. I was like, <laughs> it just looked silly to me. It was like, what the fuck is, you know, mm-hmm. it's like whatever. And I just didn't even consider it, never thought about it again until later when the song blew up and it was like, okay, who, this who is this group? Mm-hmm. And then I finally connected to, oh my God, that's that cover I saw back, you know, and connected it. But do I think that this, you know, do I think that, do I think that this cover hurt this album? To be honest, for their target demographic, no. I think that let's be real. If this were an R and B album, and you put a baby on the cover with this, you know, with the dollar bill, I think a lot of R and B fans, specifically black R and B fans, would have been like, "What the fuck is this? You know, what is well, this? This was not the. This was not in 1991. This was not the trend for. Um, it was, it's more of an alternative, you know, take. Sure, but is it because the baby's naked? I don't think so. I mean, it's a baby. Who cares? Because I mean, babies are naked. You know, I mean, Ready to Die did very well, and it was a baby. With a big old afro sitting on the cover. Yeah, but there was he was sitting in the, the actually I I can look at that. Good point. I can look at that. That's a great point. But I think that if I look at Ready to Die, I'm looking at it now. When I look at that cover, I thought that was Biggie's like childhood picture. I thought it was the notorious mm-hmm. big as a baby. Mm-hmm. So it made mm-hmm. sense to me. When I look at Nirvana's cover, 
I can tell that this is like some stylized, you know, just some random right, kid. And right, it's like, right, right, right. it just, it was all, it didn't offend me. It was just right. like, I just like that, whatever. It was a whatever feel like, I don't, you know, whatever, there's some bullshit. So. Well, the, the, the dollar is connected to a fish hook. Right. So there the, is that, you know, the consumer. The message is, right. Right. And from then that's, birth, and we're talking, see, that's also, right. And that's also put on the back of the, the back cover, which I didn't, I've never really taken a look at, but according to Wikipedia, is a the back cover is a collage which features photos of raw beef from a supermarket <laughs> advertisement images from Dante's Inferno pictures of diseased vaginas from Cobain's collection of medical photos um, and Cobain noted if you look real close there is a picture of Kiss in the back standing on a slab of beef this is all off of Wikipedia so take it for what you know mm-hmm. take it for, for what you will but I didn't look at the back cover. I just I saw the front cover back in the day, and that it was, was like, good. again, like I said, it didn't offend me. It was just like whatever. So to to your point though, if I look at the Biggie cover, there is some connection there because I feel like oh, that's just a baby picture of the artist. Um, so I don't think my taste back in 1991, you weren't in that alternative realm and I think that the mm-hmm. cover of Nevermind was definitely and it's an alternative cover for alternative grunge music um, I think it's a great cover now now that I look at it back you know in, in retrospect you you do accept that it's iconic yeah absolutely absolutely I accept I like I said it sold 10 million copies I said it would have sold 10 million in one now to be honest Maybe it would have sold. Is it possible more. that if it had a more standard cover, it would have sold less copies? Is it possible that the cover grabbed a lot of people? Yes, absolutely. Just not me. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked before on this show, um, one of my favorite episodes actually. Uh, we talked before about the other album, the other alternative rock album that was released on that same day, the uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers' Blood Sugar Sex Magic. And the cover art for that, and it does it in a fairly traditional way, but it really, really represents the tone of the album. It's one of the most well thought out covers I can think of, not just for the front and back cover, but for the inlay card entirely. Everything, the lyric sheet, the credits, etc., the photographs. I think Jan Dubont actually put the cover together as a filmmaker and you really see it in the quality. And that album did very, very well, but not as well as, not even nearly as well as, never mind. Uh, before we go, real quick, favorite album cover of all time. Go. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I'm just playing. I don't, I don't, I, there are a lot of good ones. I actually don't have one. I mean, you were looking, I know, I noticed your reaction. You were looking uh, at album covers and you saw Sticky Fingers and you made a face. An interesting thing about the Rolling Stones Sticky Fingers cover. Oh, yeah, because that's all. They got my man's shit all up in there. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> okay, that's a full lid on this episode of the Music Snobs podcast. Uh, please, you can find us online at the Music Snobs dot com you can find us on twitter the handle is total music snobs and we invite you to enjoy our sister podcast snobs on film <laughs> <laughs>